0: It's the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keane and me. I'm Phil Dobby. Today, house prices. We know they're out of control in Australia and Canada and New Zealand, when new regulations will stop foreign buyers from buying houses. Will that make any difference? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Yes, from October, New Zealand will limit the purchases of homes by foreigners under the Overseas Investment Amendment Bill. It was pushed through Parliament by the Associate Finance Minister, David Parker, who said New Zealanders should not be outbid by wealthier foreign buyers. And the situation there is pretty much like it is in Australia. House prices have surged. It's also a time of record immigration, so are those two factors linked? And home ownership in New Zealand is at the lowest level since 1951, so will this new plan work? Well, Steve, we've spoken often and you've written a lot about the Australian housing market and how it's ready for a crash. Well, look, maybe that started because figures for July 2018 show Sydney house prices year on year – have fallen more than five percent in one year. That's quite a lot, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to keep on going. People are guessing about twenty. I think. I think my original forty um, yeah, percent. You said many years ago, didn't you? It was an analogy to Japan. Okay, the actual statement was in answer to a question from Kerry O'Brien uh, on the seven thirty report was that uh, the Japanese house prices fell forty percent uh, after their uh, the bubble peaked, and I see no reason why we will avoid. Avoid the same fate, and then to go to that bloody bet with old Rory, Rory Robertson. Um, when Rory made it, said, I was most famous about uh, for having predicted house price falls, which is a bit weird because you don't get on the seven thirty report for half the show without already being famous, and that's where I actually first made the comment. Um, but he, he, when and when he made his bet, uh, we started making his bet offer. I said, over the next ten to fifteen years, mate. And That was in December of two about no, October two thousand and eight. So the the um statute of limitations on that bet is 2023 but certainly I think the <laughs> odds are there for something of the order of a 40 percent or more fall in house price
0: by 2023 you think you might still by
1: 2023
0: right okay well its
1: peak whatever that might be I think the peak is certainly well now I think the peak well was last- really behind us
0: well yeah last year I think I mean it was uh, because I think the year before that it was like almost up 10 percent in Sydney so uh, so you'd have to take that as the peak and uh, now we're down five percent in the in the, the in this year so we'll we'll see how it goes but look you know to give people outside uh, outside Australia some context in this, two-bedroom apartment close to the city centre in Sydney, a, a, a very small one is just under $1.5 million in a tower block, That and that is actually quite a good deal because the median house price in Sydney is around $1.1 million. Dollars, um, and uh, it's a big city, and there's a lot of people living a long way out west in uh, not the best housing, and that's included in that in that median. So 1.1 million pounds uh, dollars, that's a lot of money, isn't it? It's about 700 thousand US, isn't it?
1: Well, they put it in terms of things like actually people yeah. can relate to, and certainly of the order say 600 thousand pounds. So yeah, a small two bedroom apartment in a tower block uh, at that price. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the the cost of living down under. It ain't cheap,
0: and so I wonder to what extent. And look, I really want to talk about New Zealand as well and uh, the policy that's been introduced there. We'll do that in, in just a second. But I just wonder what you know how how big a policy failure is Australia, particularly Sydney, because the what it what is propping up uh, those that housing and perhaps why you got the figure wrong or it's been delayed is because of course the huge level of migration into the city. Um, the uh, But we also have a, a slowing population growth rate in, in Sydney. So I wonder whether, in fact, the projections about what the you know Because you see these massive projections for, for Sydney being a city of 8 million people in not so many years. I wonder whether they're going to get there with given housing affordability. Because the population growth rate is actually slowing. So it's 4.1% in 2015, 3.9% in 2016, 2.3% in 2017. So you've got a slowing growth rate. And what you've also got is almost all of the net um, growth in the city is from migrants from overseas. People, uh, the, the net migration within Australia is out of Sydney. If you see what I mean, people—in other yeah. words, people in Sydney—are selling up and moving to uh, to Brisbane. Uh, is the is the common destination? So there's something wrong with the with the whole approach, isn't it? The housing policy in Sydney. Uh, which is only surviving because uh, so many people want to move to Australia, and Sydney is their city of choice. But after they've been there for a while, they get out and move somewhere cheaper
1: because they realize it's just impossible to buy a place there in the first instance. This, yeah. this is the—I've just been doing, of course, doing some work on this to do a blog post about it uh, in the very near future. Um, and I looked at long-term price series, and this—the best long-term price series—is put together by Robert Schiller in the United States, where he has what he call a quality-adjusted price index or what he does is he actually looks at the sale prices of the same house over time so it's a very detailed database mm. rather than being an average for an entire city where you might be you know one at one point in time you might be comparing a, a 50 square meter apartment uh, as an average for being built at a particular point in the history of the city to 150 sometime later no these are exactly the same properties
0: no but, uh, so- but they'll be done up though won't they almost every house gets added to
1: uh, done up, sometimes done down, but you're yeah, mainly done up. But he, he does a quality adjustment as well. And that price index, when you look at it, shows the extreme nature of the bubble that occurred in 2005, 2006 in America, because the index, you go right back to 1980, then the index started, uh, sorry, 19, eight, 1890, pardon me, you go right back to um, 1890, the index started at uh, 100, I've, I'm taking it, uh, I've rebased it to start from the beginning of the century, so starting at 100. Um, it stays at 100 with a few fluctuations up and down, mainly down, in fact, all the way out to 1997, and then it peaks at 190 during the subprime bubble. It's It fell in the bottom to 125. It's now back to 170. But it was actually, in effect, that the, the long-term price uh, and this is inflation adjusted for America, uh, in 2006 peaked t- pretty much twice the average for the entire period. Now, I decided to look at a not-as-well-constructed data, data series. A guy called Nigel Stapleton uh, at the uh, University of New South Wales put this together for his PhD thesis. He's something be like have been head of, head of school there from my recollection. But he put together a series which doesn't compare like with like as much, but it gives you an index of house prices going back as far in Australia. Now, I graphed that and I think and it's one of the times my jaw hit the floor, even though I expected it to be extreme. That index, again, shows no movement between 1900 and 1950. So it starts at 100 and 1900. By 1950, it's 100. In fact, it actually goes down below 100. So 90. it's in 1948, 49, it's 99.8, it's pretty much 100. It then leaps, and I'm not quite certain what the course is the leap, quite dramatically in 1950. So I've got a feeling that I should actually regard 1950 as the start of the series. It gets up to 2.5 times the long-term average, falls down again, and now we're talking 1950. It's so up with my birthday. 1953, March, it's 176. That's still a substantial increase. You would expect it to fall from that. Its current value is twelve hundred and ten. <laughs> well, let me. So mm. there has been a, a, a sextupling tupling of house prices between my birth and today. Well, let me give you
0: a shocking uh, real-life example. I uh, bought a house in Paddington. This would be I don't know two thousand and four, two thousand and five, sometime some somewhere around there. It, it needed work on it. We bought it, uh, my former wife and I bought it for $600,000, and uh, we got planning permission to uh, extend on the back of it, but uh, in the process, the marriage fell apart. It was just too much stress, uh, and uh, so we went our separate ways and had to sell the house. The house sold about a year and a half later for 900000 We bought it for 600000 we sold yeah, it for yeah. 900000 in a year and a half.
1: Your divorce was a profitable experience. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, it was, except, of course, I lost. I, I wished, wished I'd hung on to the house because the people who bought it pushed ahead and did our plans because we sold it with the plans. That was the only yeah. added value to it all. They did that in a year and a half, and they sold it on for $1.1 $1. 1 Uh So in the space, <laughs> the space of a few years, the house had almost doubled in value. And that's just crazy stuff, isn't it?
1: It is crazy because, again, this the question is what actually pays for house prices? Now, in the long-term answer, the very, very long-term answer is ultimately you service buying assets out of income. Uh, but in the very short term, and the short term can be in a place like Australia ridiculously long, you buy the house on credit. You buy it with mortgage debt. And if there's an acceleration in mortgage debt, then the flow of demand uh, can be higher than the flow of supply and up goes your overall price. And that's been happening in, in Australia in particular since the, the, uh, the late 1980s. And the government has played a major role in this, which is one reason I'm a bit of a sceptic on uh, seeing the government as a, as, a, as a potentially beneficial actor in the economy, having seen how outrageously the Australian government has behaved over time.
0: So we've got weaker retail sales in Australia and falling house prices. I everyone, mean, everyone, whether they actually have less money in their pocket or not, if their house is worth less, they'll be feeling less well off. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that those two factors are not unrelated.
1: Well, are we going to be talking about Australian house prices only or global? We house can talk prices? anywhere in the world. It's, it's, okay. Well, the, the Australian, that's where the most, most interesting speculation might come in for anybody who's not in an Australia and this is not an issue of importance to them. Uh, I think it's a hiding to nothing to see the Australian dollar plummet at some stage. So I could see some interesting plays on, on exchange rates and currencies given. Given what's going to happen when the housing market falls over, but to go back and give that index comparison once more with the again with the Americans starting, and I'll start in i I'll start in nineteen fifty, which is sufficiently after the um, the uh, Second World War to uh, seems like a normal conditions imply. So both countries' indexes one hundred in nineteen nineteen fifty, America's peaks at uh, one eighty, falls down to. Hundred and twenty is now back up to one hundred and sixty, and it's worth talking about why the prices have recovered. Australia um, is now at five hundred, so basically yeah. five times increase on in the real price since nineteen fifty. So while
0: there was an adjustment going on in other parts of the world, Australia just carried on carrying on.
1: Yeah, and in the belief that house prices always rise. Right. And with a very, very long-term data, the best long-term data we have is actually based in the city I'm currently talking from, which is Amsterdam. Uh, and there's a canal here called the Herengracht Canal. And I don't – I forgot my – I should have looked up what Heren actually means – Grat means canal, but Heren. I'll look it up on the web while I talk. Um, no, don't. Just the, focus on what you're saying. Go on, go on. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, the, um, the, the, the price index they've got goes right back to the tulip bubble. It's quite a fascinating time From the tulip bubble in 1973. And there are periods across that time of up to 70 years where house prices were rising all the way through. So if you were born in the beginning and died at the end, you'd you'd go to your deathbed believing house prices always rise. There were 50-year periods where house prices fell continuously. So you could actually also pretty much, uh, you know, be born when house prices are falling, and die when house prices are falling, and go to your deathbed, believing house prices always fall. Over that whole time period, from sometime in the you know fifteen hundreds right through to nineteen seventy three, the price, the av- the average index was flat. In other words, we pay as much to buy houses compared to uh, con- consumer goods. Uh, there's indeed no long term trend in the value of assets, but they can be pumped up by credit. And and they can fall apart when credit collapses. And that's what we've seen in the rest of the world. And Australia now learning the same lesson.
0: Right. So the fluctuation in the United States then, because, I mean, they they plummeted, as you say, and they've recovered. So why that recovery?
1: This is where the, the the demand and supply stuff actually makes sense because I, I know, you know, we, we, when you say demand and supply to me, I reach for my revolver, mm. um, which I don't have. As long as you're shooting face. yourself, not me, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it points outward, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, only, at, only at economics departments. But – I, I took that seriously once and thought well actually let's let's put this in dynamic terms forget the static equilibrium stuff let's talk about the flow of demand and the flow of supply and the flow of supply per year is a combination of how many existing houses are turning over in situations like your Paddington story where a divorce causes a house to be sold uh, or somebody moves to a job somewhere else and has to sell where they are and so on that's the turnover of existing houses and there are lifestyle issues there or, 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 or relationship fall apart issues. So there's part of that which is independent of economic conditions. But equally, uh, there's more likely to be a rise in the volume being put onto the market when house prices are, are rising. People are thinking, oh, well, now's, now's the time to capitalise on the gain we've experienced. The whole investor market is likely to be stronger at that stage. But I, I describe this as being a bit like a sigmoid curve. There'll be a low level and a high level uh, between the two. Maybe economic conditions drive you up from low level of supply to high level of supply. But it's... It's it's not a major. It doesn't have a lot of strong economic basis to it compared to the relationship stuff and moving and so on. So that's the change. That's the supply of existing houses. Some turnover fraction times the stock of existing houses, and then you add in. The construction, net construction of new houses, now, of course, that is very heavily driven by people's expectation of prices. So, if prices are rising, there's a strong expectation that house prices are going to continue rising. Therefore, you'll invest in building more housing, and we all see that in the skyline during a during a housing boom. Yeah, That's the supply side. On the demand side, fundamentally, you buy a house with borrowed money you don't there's a, there's a there's a small fraction it used to be larger but a small fraction of the purchase price coming from your savings personal savings uh, there's a large fraction coming from borrowing money from a bank
0: and it's always been your contention hasn't it that it's mm. it's driven more by demand rather yeah. than rather the, the, than supply the availability of finance which you know is you've written you've written books about so in the united states is that that the case then that there was that it was harder to get the finance and now it's become more available and that's why prices are rising again
1: Yeah, there's a relationship between the the, – to to follow on the logic, what you have is a relationship between the level of new mortgages and the level of house prices. So there's a relationship between the change in the level of new mortgages and change in house prices. Mm. So if new mortgages are rising, house prices are likely to be rising. If new mortgages are falling, house prices are going to fall. And that has to happen ultimately because the the – New mortgages are adding the existing level of debt. So change in new mortgages is saying how fast the change in the level of debt itself is happening. Yeah. And the only way you can have persistent um, pressure, demand pressure to drive house prices up is if mortgage debt is accelerating not just rise, just rising, but rising more rapidly compared to income, and nothing accelerates forever. Not even Australian house prices. So,
0: um, so part of the fall in Australia then um, is less to do with um, the demand for houses or oh, the supply of housing. Is it because banks are getting tougher on on mortgages? Is that part oh, of the reason?
1: It, it's a combination, I think. Australia's getting a perfect storm of all these things, actually, which is why it's going to be quite a fascinating place to watch. First of all, you've you've, you've reached saturation level for the level of household debt. The households in Australia are carrying a debt level equivalent about 1.2 times GDP. That's the second highest level on the planet right now. The only country with a higher ratio is Switzerland. And you've always got to wonder what's happening uh, in Switzerland in terms of does this reflect what's happening with the Swiss? That is happening, uh, reflect their banking, the banking system's role of um, you know, hiding the wealth accumulated in the rest of the planet. Um, so, so on Australia's number one on that front, it's number two historically compared to Denmark. But you've reached a saturation level. So once you reach the saturation level, or the level of debt compared to Household debt compared to GDP, then there's no change in the volume, and as that happens, when you go through it, your acceleration goes negative. So that that's one factor. A second factor is that again, because Australia is out of step with the rest of the world, the, the costs of the, the 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 margins banks are paying to to borrow money on in the international market, which I think they're using to sell to so people who want to buy foreign goods, given Australia's trade deficit. They're not. I have to look at the. The logic behind them, the, the amount of borrowing they do, but they're paying more to get that money which they're selling to Australians to buy overseas goods. That's increasing their their costs as well. So they're putting up rates at the same time. But the biggest one of the lot is the Royal Commission, and this is absolutely wonderful stuff because, again, it's another case of the elite shooting itself in the foot because Australia's having a banking a commission into the banking and, and the pension fund industry called superannuation in Australia, having an inquiry because the banks thought, look, all these nasty people in the public are saying we're being really, really bad. Uh, we're not. We know we're gods. We know we're perfect. although um, well, there'll be a few rotten apples, but we can handle them being exposed. Let's have a royal commission to shut up all the complainers. And then the royal commission got access to their documents. And... It is so transparent that the main reason why house prices continued to rise after uh, my little bet went astray is fraud. Banks have been making, frankly, fraudulent uh, statements about the capacity of people to service debt, and on that basis, extending far more debt than people that can actually service out of their incomes. And now this is being exposed, they've got to be more realistic about the amount of money people have left after they've paid their their debt servicing, and the whole thing is coming down. And the final one, I'm being a bit long-winded here as usual, uh, is that up to 40% of mortgages in the last five years have been interest-only, Mm. Not meaning you don't pay any principal just back, but you get a five-year period before. Yeah, absolutely crazy. The regulator's letting that through shows how little they understand the bloody market they're supposed to be regulating. Well, that, so I, mean, they, I mean,
0: that just says. I mean, that just says. Yeah, we're open for pure speculation. Yeah.
1: Well, exactly. it's a, one
0: of one of two things. Either it's saying yes, we're open to speculation uh, on the basis that everyone is assuming house prices are always going to go up. Or prices are now at such a ridiculous level that no one can afford to uh, to pay uh, at, at a level where you are going to pay off capital, um, because of because the housing affordability is such a big issue. Either way, it's yeah. not it's not a good thing.
1: Not a good thing at all. And the Australian um, what what that means is that people who've got those mortgages in the last five years. Uh, had a five-year window where they didn't pay the principal, but then after five years they have to pay the interest and the principal as well. Right. And that can mean for most of those people something of the order of a 40% increase in their debt servicing costs. Right. now, And then they sell the house and the house is worth 5% less. On the top of that, even worse than that, on top of that 40% increase in what they're paying to service their debt, the, the amount that they were calculated as being able to pay was based on them having a – a, a, uh, expenditure on other items if they had a family of four of 30,000 Australian dollars a year. Now that is the poverty line. In other words, what the banks assumed was, it's, it's actually, it's, it's called HEM household expenditure. I've forgotten what the M M-M stands for, but the HEM level was originally used by a, a good Australian sociologist, stroke economist to calculate what was the poverty level in Australia and therefore what the minimum welfare payment should be, minimum wage and so on. Instead, the bank said, aha, let's use that as the calculation we make that what people actually spend in addition to what they service on their debt. So if they spend, well, guess that like a family of four living in abject poverty would be spending $30,000 uh, per year in, Australia, in Sydney. Uh, therefore, we assume that everybody who borrows from us, even a multi-billionaire, uh, is living on $30,000 for a family <laughs> of four. And the, everything above that can be used to service the debt. And oh, we're going to give you a... a, a, a um, Alone, where you only pay the interest for the first five years. So the interest alone is going to... Servicing interest will leave you with $30,000 a year to live on. Mm. And then, of course, we're going to increase it by 40% when it resets, but don't worry, but then the house price will have doubled and you can... It's a Ponzi scheme. right? a so classic Aussie Ponzi scheme. Wow.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the house price hasn't doubled. And, and interest rates, I guess, will go up at some point. At least they haven't got that to pile on to the, uh, to the cas- catastrophe at the moment. But the reason why... Um, by the way, uh, Herengracht means uh, a gentleman's
1: canal. There you go. I knew you'd get me. You'd beat me to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, the reason why I wanted to talk about house prices and uh, housing policy is because New Zealand in recent weeks has introduced a ban on uh, foreigners buying established dwellings, which I think is pretty – and that was sort of made as big news, and yet that is pretty much the case in Australia, isn't it? You can buy – if you are a foreign investor, you can buy an established dwelling. You just can't – so you can't buy an established dwelling. You can only buy a new one. But you can also buy an established dwelling – if you're going to add to it, which is why we've got this rise in tiny subdivisions in, in Australia, because people are buying one house and turning it into two and getting around it uh, in that way. In the UK, we've got no controls on foreign ownership. Uh, many owners are anonymous uh, and we know that's impacting house prices in some places like in wealthy parts of uh, uh, of london because you've got laundered money you want to anonymously place it somewhere then you buy a house because that's tied up and you know hopefully no one can take it from you uh, that that's a totally separate issue isn't it but it sounds like all of these none of these policies are going to work if the issue is is not to do with supply it's to do with demand and it's the availability of credit that you're talking about. So
1: Yeah, and, and that, that falling over is going to push the prices in the opposite direction. I think both New Zealand and Australia have, have uh, housing bubbles. Yeah. Australia probably more extreme than New Zealand, but both driven by credit and both, of course, by the same banks. So, it's not going to make any difference.
0: Although, I mean, it, it, it is an issue, though, if you look at uh, house prices once you get outside major centres. So, uh, and this has been a long phenomenon, hasn't it? Where you've got regions of a country like, for example, Wales, where uh, holiday homes uh, are bought and gentrified, prices out the locals. I guess that's a, that's a separate issue. I'm not sure how you stop that that from happening.
1: Well, that, that's a, that's the that's the washover effect. Because if, again, when you go shopping to buy a house somewhere and you see um, prices that are much lower than what you pay in your in your reference city, it's still possible to make the mistake of believing that uh, that price is reasonable mm. and that seems what seems to be what actually hits people they make this belief that all that house in Maruja, uh is you know much cheaper than i'd pay for a similar one and in Sydney, and you come in with an income level which far exceeds what applies in Merriyer itself, and you basically drive up the uh, the price level in Maria at the expense of the locals. Yeah, and I guess very often people are getting that second home, aren't they? That
0: holiday home they're they're getting it with uh, with equity on the house that they've they've bought, which has suddenly increased in value. So they feel like they've they've got the cash, even though they haven't.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we 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 have a perfect storm turning up in both these both these countries, but, which is but not amazing the, to watch.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I, know, I can tell you're going to enjoy it, which is uh, which is the, the the dark side of Steve Keen. You might be enjoying it just that little bit too much. But why why is this why is this not happening in the UK then? What's what is different here?
1: Well, the UK had the UK doesn't realize it actually had a bubble back in uh, 2008 to two thousand and ten. It peaked. And it's fallen since that stage. So there's been the, the, the mortgage, the, the, the rate of change of, of new mortgages uh, went negative when the crisis hit both in America and the UK. So to give some idea of that, I was looking at the data for America right now. And if you look at the the, the change in... the. The change in the level of new mortgages in America peaked at 2% of GDP back in 2005. That doesn't sound like much, but that's the change in the change in the level of mortgage debt. So that was the acceleration factor. It peaked at 2% in 2005. It then started plunging down to minus 7% uh, by the middle of 2008. Uh, and, and that's what you can just – the fit is like a glove. I mean, it, it's – this is why I, I find it remarkable when I do my presentations, when I give my lectures to students, because I've got an argument based on stuff which is heretical. Mainstream people say credit uh, has no effect on, on the asset prices because the buyer can be leveraged, the seller can be unleveraged. The, a company, uh, can, you can have a company with a massive mass, mass amount of debt being bought by somebody for cash. The share has been bought for cash, or you can have a company with no with no um, debt whatsoever, uh, and the le- the company the person buying does it on margin. They say, well, therefore the two effects cancel out, and there's no relationship. That is total nonsense when you look at the data. There's an incredibly strong relationship between the level of leverage people take to buy an asset, and the level of the price of that asset, and therefore between change in that leverage and change in the ha- the price. Again, for American. Um, Housing data, the fit between the change in new mortgages and the change in house prices is like a glove. Uh, it's correlation coefficients are over 0.7. And when the when the when the acceleration of mortgage debt started to go from positive to negative, you had a dramatic plunge in the prices. You then bottomed out in two thousand and eight at minus seven percent of GDP as the acceleration of mortgage debt, it then rose back up to 2% by 2012, and it's been flatlining but still positive in the sense that it's, it's still above zero, and that is what's driven the recovery in American house prices as well. So you don't need the same absolute level of mortgage debt, which has fallen quite substantially in America. You need the acceleration of mortgage debt to get back to being positive again, and that's where it's been since, uh, let's see, when it had actually turned positive. It, turned, it started turning around and driving a house prices in 2009. It hit positive in 2010 and it peaked in 2012 and it's now heading back down towards zero once more.
0: Well, Macquarie Private Wealth uh, has, they reckon, according to their figures, 130,000 people net are going to move to Brisbane in uh, in coming years from, from Sydney. So aside from this fall in house prices just this affordability question and this migration which you can imagine is going to pick up it's pretty difficult for businesses to uh, to to adapt to that that's 130,000 people presumably working um who uh, who are not working in in, in businesses anymore and uh, need to find replacements if those replacements are all foreign buyers you wonder how many of those foreign buyers are actually part of the working population, and how many of them are just investors. And then that is that alone is a is a is a downside for the Sydney economy, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. Because demand is going to be t- taken out of the city, I and mean, people have got to find their jobs to move north in the first place. But or yeah. uh, well, and bear in mind moving north to Brisbane. Mm. I mean, and we spoke of you're one of your ex wives. You've only got one, haven't you? Just yeah. So, yeah, far, yeah. so don't, far. don't expand the collection. It's not worth it. <laughs> I uh, can't afford uh, to. My my second ex wife uh, was was, a, was performing in a stage show in Brisbane, and she she give a, a few votes for humour. She uh, said, "Where are the pith helmets?" <laughs> Tell me this is a joke. I think it's changed.
0: It has, it has matured as
1: a city, I no, think. No, no, it's, it's no. It's not the city maturing. It's the temperature. It oh, is, right. it, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you've watched the American Open and saw the people dying of sweat in the basin there, New York has got nothing on Brisbane during summer. Yeah, Absolutely well, nothing. Well, thanks to global
0: warming, that's happening everywhere, isn't it? But look the, getting, yeah. so look, the the indicators they're going to look for then, as you delight in the demise in, in Sydney housing, obviously because you don't own a Sydney house, um, is I mean, prices are going to continue to fall, but we're going to see consumer confidence presumably is going to fall. We're already seeing uh, retail spending starting to wane. Uh, business investment, you'd assume, is 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 going to start to drop as well. Um, I mean, what are the what are the other indicators, and how quickly is all this going to happen?
1: Well, I've, I've just spoken about the acceleration in mortgage debt as the factor yeah. causing change in house prices. Of course, the change in in debt, whether it's mortgages or it's it's corporate debt, is is credit and that credit demand is going to dry up at the moment. Uh, credit demand from the household sector has gone to virtually zero, but there's been a rise in credits being taken out by the business sector, and that's compensated. So, credit's running at about I thing is order of five or six percent of GDP. Right. In but Australia that's, right that's now. happening
0: because the business sector believes that the the economy is doing well. Otherwise, why would they be taking out credit? Because they're taking out credit to well, you only take credit for one reason. Uh, well, two reasons. One is you're in trouble and you need it to try and get over a hurdle. Let's hope it's not mm. that. The other is that uh, you're investing in um, uh, in equipment. To, to, to build growth for your business. Yeah,
1: and there's a bit of an investment. In there's the a range of industries which you could expect, particularly our export industries, yeah. uh, we can expect some investment still carrying oh, well, on Well, the mining there. sector's in a bit of
0: a resurgence. so Mining sector's, positive.
1: yeah, it's a bit of a because the, the re- recovery in commodity prices have led back to some further investment there when it was dying out for a while. So, again, being out of phase with the rest of the world is actually beneficial to Australia right now on that front. But definitely the credit is, when the credit dries up from the housing sector, then unless there's a massive increase in credit for the business sector, then the economy will fall over because the credit demand goes negative and actually subtracts from demand rather than adding to it.
0: Right. So you're saying, in fact, commodity prices might be the saviour and might, might slow down any uh, decline in the economy then?
1: Yeah, particularly if you get a benefit on the trade balance as well, which mm. I think is also coming Australia's way.
0: Yeah. All right, so maybe we will get past your 2022 or whatever it was, deadline. 2023,
1: but to- I could <laughs> be in trouble. But I, but, I, but, I, uh, but the, it's the feedback between the decline in, in house prices caused by, by a slowdown in the growth of credit and then credit disappearing from the economy that gives you a recession, a crisis like we had back in 2008. The rest of the world that Australia sidestepped by restarting its housing bubble. Right. And um,
0: where I started on the introduction, New Zealand banning the purchase of established dwellings by foreigners, not going to make one jot of difference.
1: It'll make a bit of a difference. I mean the trouble is, often a lot of these changes occur after the crisis has already occurred. And to me, the classic is finally having prudential lending in Australia after the bubble that that fundamentally fraudulent lending allowed to occur. When you do that, the economy falls over. And this is why I think I think I'd make an analogy here with aliens. I'm not talking the ones who come to the country in boats. I'm talking the movie. Mm. If you remember the original movie, when they when they got hold of the alien and tried to take it off, it was a John Hurt's face, and they they uh, yeah they went cut into- through cut through a limb and it then bled and what it bled dissolved it dissolved away through three or four layers of the ship, and one of them says, "Interesting defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it." Well, that's a housing bubble because when it falls over, it takes the rest of the economy with it. And politicians will dive right back in trying to support the housing bubble once more. And, of course, Australia now has a, a, a prime minister, at least for the next week, uh, who was a property market, uh, employee of the property lobby. Mm. You'll dive straight back into trying to rescue the bubble, but it may be a bit too late for that particular alien. Well, he'll be
0: gone soon, won't he? You don't you don't hold that job for very long. All right, well, we'll watch it. Uh, we'll watch and wait and see how it all goes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, not looking good for the Australian economy, or presumably for the New Zealand economy, for very similar reasons. I think in your book you're also saying Canada is uh, is all is also on that list. Uh, and again, people-
1: and, and Korea quite possibly. I've got to look more closely at Korea, but Korea is another one where that uh, credit spread got it through the two thousand and eight crisis and is now starting. To send- negative
0: all right well i'll leave it there and uh, you get out take a stroll down the gentleman's canal uh and uh, we'll catch you again next time I wonder if it rubs off i'll have to find out <laughs> i very much doubt it see you next time steve bye-bye in fact, I'm surprised they would allow Australians to live off the gentleman's canal. Uh, look, next time, inequality and economic efficiency. How big a drain on the economy is inequality? Uh, if poor people earn more and we had a, a, a narrow gap, would we all actually be better off as a result of it? We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keene. and Phil Dobby. I'll be back then too. See you soon. Thanks for listening.